acknowledge our need for you this morning. We are people of your presence. Nothing will distract us from our pursuit of your presence. Nothing will distract us. Nothing will convince us that we don't need you. Mm, come on, declare. There is no blessing. Say, there is no blessing that will convince me I don't need the blesser. Jesus. stay where you are if you're on the floor you don't have to get up encounter with the presence of the Lord to daily encounters with his presence. He wants to meet you like this in your home. He wants to meet you like this in your car, at your desk, at your gym. to meet you every day. We want to help you to develop that daily encounter with the Lord, to learn how you best connect with God. This is not about church membership. This is about discipleship. This is about having this experience with the Lord every day. 
text connect to 59090. We want to walk with you through this. We're going to take this presence that you feel here to Dallas, Texas today. For those of you that don't know, today is Citizens for Life. And all of Mercy Culture locations are coming together with other churches throughout the state. And we are celebrating the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And today, today, January 22nd, 2023, is the 50th anniversary of the original decision of Roe v. Wade. And that decision was made by a federal court in Dallas, Texas. And today we are meeting at the Dallas City Hall. We're going to worship and pray and intercede together, and we are marching from City Hall to that federal courthouse. We're going to celebrate the overturning, and we're going to recognize that we have a lot of work left to do because we will not stop until abortion is considered the scourge against humanity that it is in every state across this nation. This heinous practice is still legal in 37 states in America, and we are praying and worshiping and interceding for that today, beginning at 4 p.m. Many of us are leaving right after this service. It's not just a march. This isn't about politics. This is about a prophetic movement, about the spirit of the Lord breaking the principality of death over our nation. We're going to worship and pray together. Sean Foyt will be there. Lou Engel will be there. Uh, Lisa Bevere will be there. Pastor Heather Schott will be there. Mercy Culture Worship will be there. And thousands of other people, and we can't wait to see you. If you want more information, text citizens to 59090. I'm going to ask you to just keep playing. You all right? You need a stool? You sure? All right. Pastor Landon is coming here next Sunday. We'll be here in person. Yeah, you can clap. Again, I want to welcome you to Mercy Culture. My name is Les. I'm the lead pastor here of Mercy Culture Waco. Welcome to the tent, our temporary location as we remodel that building that's right out those doors right there. We've made some great strides this week. The remodeling is coming along quickly. It's going to be beautiful. We're going to have extravagant things like a roof and a floor. And when you go to the bathroom and you flush the toilet, it's going to go... You know, stuff like that, indoor plumbing, walls. It's really over the top. It's just extravagant. It's going to be so beautiful. We can't wait for that. Just a few short weeks away until we move into there. But if you don't know, Mercy Culture is one church in many locations. We're founded in our our, uh, home campus is Mercy Culture Church in Fort Worth, Texas. And our senior lead pastor from there, Pastor Landon Schott, will be here with us next Sunday in person. And then the Sunday immediately following that, February the 5th, I'm so excited. This is the first time that we've been able to do it here at MC Waco. We'll be having Vision Sunday. Yeah. If you've never experienced Vision Sunday, it is the day that we announce the initiatives of this house for 2023. There's so many exciting things that we're going to be announcing to you, videos and interviews, and and it's not a boring Sunday, I promise. 
So get ready, because we are running in 2023. If you would, if you'd like my notes, what's in front of me, just text the word notes to 59090, and whatever's in front of me will be sent to you. Last week, Pastor Landon, through a video, actually delivered the word of the year over mercy culture. The word is dunamis. We're going to dive into that here in a moment, but it was actually planned that I was going to deliver this word. Pastor Landon and I had worked on this message together, and I was going to deliver the word of the year, but the Lord was laying something different on my heart, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, no, show that video. And We don't have the ideal set up for video yet. We will in the building to, to occasionally show video from, from different things, but, you know, we're watching TVs, and I'm like, Lord, is this my flesh? Is this you? What do you want to do? And I just felt the release of the Holy Spirit to do it. And so last week, we watched that video, and it was the right decision, and God spoke to us through the word of the year. And this week, I'm going to deliver the second part to that word, specifically for, for Mercy Culture Waco, some things that God has been speaking to me and to my heart. And I want to challenge you this morning to receive. Come on, I want you to just lock in with me. Can I get an amen? amen. I want you to lock in with me, respond, receive this word today. Now, this word is for this house. And even if you're not a member of this house, we want you to receive. But I want to encourage you this morning that if you're not planted here, be planted somewhere. Find a house that you can plant and grow deep and wide roots. Because you cannot be healthy without being planted. Spiritual wandering is both dangerous and a waste of time. See, unsubmitted people run from place to place and house to house and church to church trying to catch a word, trying to catch an encounter with the Lord. They choose, pick and choose what they want to receive from God like they're at some sort of spiritual all-you-can-eat buffet. Instead of being submitted and planted in a house to receive for their family what God is speaking, I want to challenge you. We hope that Mercy Culture is the house that you want to be planted in. But even if it isn't, I implore you, find that place that God has called you to plant yourself. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Thank you. Beginning in verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. That's about nine feet, nine inches. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, or 122 pounds. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And verse 14 says, David was the youngest of three eldest, followed Saul. 
But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token for them. How many of you are in the midst of this 40-day fast with us? Roasted grain, 10 loaves of bread, and some cheese sound good right about now. In verse 29, we see David learned what was going on. David heard the taunts of Goliath. He figured out what was happening, and he began asking around, Hey, hey, what do I get if I defeat this giant Philistine? Verse 29 said, And David said, What have I done now? See, his brothers were frustrated with him. His brothers began to say, who do you think you are asking these questions? We're the grown men. You're a little kid. Stop asking us. He said, was it not but a word? Did I not just ask a question? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. I've come to tell you this morning that the pathway to glory is through dunamis. And the pathway to dunamis is through meekness. The title of my message this morning is The Pathway to Glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence that's so evident in this room. Jesus, we say no spirit but the Holy Spirit is welcome in this place. Come on, family, say no spirit but the Holy Spirit is welcome. So God, spirit of confusion, spirit of religion, spirit of fear, we bind you in Jesus' name. And God, we release the Holy Spirit to operate fully and completely. Holy Spirit, move in this place. Touch our minds, our bodies, and our spirit. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit is doing and saying. God, we come against the spirit of comparison, performance, and the need to impress. I haven't come this morning to impress anybody, but Lord, we've just come to hear from you. I thank you that nobody came to hear me speak. We all came to hear you. So we say, speak, Lord. Come on, say, speak, Lord. From your spirit, say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. The word of the Lord over this house for 2023 is dunamis, to strengthen and fortify. Dunamis is a Greek word meaning miraculous, power, might, strength. It's physical power, force, ability, efficacy, energy. It means powerful deeds, deeds showing physical power and marvelous works. comes from the root word dynamai, are able to have ability. It's where we get the word dynamite. It is ability to perform for the believer, power to achieve by by applying the Lord's inherent abilities. It is power through not our own ability, but through God's ability. 
Simply put, dunamis is the power source of God. Dunamis is the explosive power of God. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, but you will receive power. Somebody say power. power. Or dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Dunamis is not just power. Dunamis is God's power to do something. Come on. Dunamis is God's power so that we can advance God's kingdom. The Bible says in Acts that he gave us power so that we could be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. Earlier this year, back in April, right before we launched, I began praying and asking the Holy Spirit, what, did, what was he speaking specifically over MC Waco for 2022? And he told me, he said, in 2022, I'm going to establish Mercy Culture Waco in the city as a force to be reckoned with. And I saw a vision of the hands of God laying foundation stones in this house. And he said, I'm going to lay this foundation so that in 2023, you may run with great vision. Say run. run. And so we've been praying into that word and we've been believing God that he would establish this house in Waco as a force to be reckoned with. It would give us the ability to run with dunamis power in 2023. And then Pastor Landon and I began to speak about the word of the year for Mercy Culture as a whole. And he started talking about dunamis and what was laid on his heart. My spirit leapt within me because it is the same thing that God's been speaking to this house. We're called to run in 2023. About 16, 18 months ago, I hope you don't mind, this morning, I'm going to share with you, I'm going to walk you through my daily encounters. That's all I've got. The only way that we minister around here at Mercy Culture is we just take what God showed us in a daily encounter and we give it away. How these people lead us in worship is they take their personal relationship with God and give it away. Aren't we thankful for our worship team? Come on. They can't lead us to places that they haven't been. And when you feel God's presence, it's because they have stewarded his presence in their living room and in their bathroom and in their car and when their babies are asleep and sitting in their office and walking the streets and praying and interceding and fasting and seeking the Lord and taking what God is doing in their life and giving it away. So I'm going to tell you a bunch of stuff that God has shown me in daily encounters about 16, 18 months ago, I had a vision. What's a vision? It's simply a spiritual daydream. I don't dream a lot. I have five kids. I don't sleep a lot. But I was in a daily encounter and praying, and I saw this vision, and what I saw was two things, and I knew they were spirits, and it was might and meekness holding hands and walking down the street. I saw the spirit of might and of meekness together intertwined, holding hands, walking. And for this last 18 months or so, I have been trying to balance between these two seemingly opposing ideas. But going before the Lord, Lord, how can I be a man of might and a man of meekness at the same time? But asking God, how can I balance? When I felt bold about a thing, I would ask the Lord, how can I balance this boldness, this might that I feel with meekness. I've been seeking balance. I've been seeking both meekness and might 
at the same time. I've been struggling with it. And every time I would sit down to study this out, I knew God was going to give me a word to deliver. And every time I sat down to do it, I felt the Holy Spirit say, no, it's not ready yet. I'm not through incubating this word in the womb of your spirit. And I sat on it. And I waited. And I struggled. And a year and a half goes by. Just a couple of weeks ago, I'm in this daily encounter. And the Lord says, you've been asking me the wrong question. And immediately I knew what he was talking about. Anybody ever prayed to the Lord for a year, a year and a half? And then he says, you've been asking me the wrong question. Anybody ever done that before? And you just want to say to the Lord, Lord, I love you. God, Lord, my Lord, you are omnipotent. You are all knowing. You are precious. You are mighty. But may I give you some feedback? In the future, you could help your son out before a year and a half goes by. He said, you've been asking me the wrong question. He said, it's not about balance. And then he said this to me, meekness is pursued and might is given. And I've been pursuing both things at the same time, asking God to balance these things. And in an instant, my focus began to shift. Meekness is pursued. And when we pursue a meek and contrite spirit, God will give to us the spirit of might. And what does it mean to be meek? The Hebrew word for meek is anav. And it means this, humble, lowly, poor in spirit, modest, prefers to bear injury rather than return injury. In other words, somebody hits you, you prefer to just take it rather than return it. That sounds fun, doesn't it? I read that definition. I said, ooh, that sounds great. Meek, lowly, poor in spirit, let you beat me up, keep my mouth shut. Sounds just like me. <laughs> Anybody that's ever driven behind me with the cross equals mercy sticker on I-35 at 7.30 a.m. knows I struggle with a few of these things. Sometimes I think, I, I'm appreciative of that sticker. Who does not have a sticker in your, I'm just playing, don't raise your hand. But we know, we're watching, somebody's in the parking lot right now taking pictures of all the cars, running your license plate, we'll leave a note. I'm just kidding. We're just going to stick a sticker right on the back. Well, I'll be driving down I-35 and I think, I pastor a church in this town and I've got the church's sticker just plastered right there on the back of my screen, the back of my my. My car, I, I, better, uh, I better be meek. Amen? Now, our definition of meek is simply this, strength under control. The Bible teaches us about meekness all through the scripture. In John chapter 5, verse 5, it says, blessed are the meek. Say blessed. For they shall do what? Inherit the earth. Psalm 25, 9, he leads the humble or the meek in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Psalm 37, 11, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So meek is a struggle. Meek requires us, us to die to our flesh. And I read this definition and understood what meek was, but most of my life I have really struggled with what meekness is not. I used to think that meekness were 
was defined by all of the things that you lack. If you want to be meek, then you've got to lack courage. If you want to be meek, then you've got to lack a desire to pursue justice. Meek people don't pursue justice. If you want to be meek, you've got to lack a strong personality. If you want to be meek, you've got to lack quick decision-making ability. If you want to be meek, you've got to lack strength. You've got to lack power. I thought meekness was a broken spirit, but meekness is a submitted spirit. See, I've learned that meekness is not defined by what you lack. It is defined by what you pursue. You may have all of those things and still obtain meekness. If you want meekness, you must pursue humility. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, So humble who? Yourselves. Ah, Don't humble your kids. It doesn't say humble your spouse. Look at your wife. Look at your husband. It says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. In Matthew 23, 12, it says, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. In Psalm 25, 9, it says, he guides the humble in what is right. And he teaches them his way. In Matthew 18, 4, it says, so anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We must pursue what pleases the Lord and die to ourselves. In order to be meek, we have to first become needy. Neediness is not something I enjoy, right? The men in the room understand, so do the women. We often don't like to be needy. There have been times in my life that I've experienced neediness, and instead of being meek and humble and asking for help when I needed to, I was stubborn and, ref and walled myself off and refused to expose my needs in my life. There was a time me and Nikki were in ministry working for a church, working like a dog, working for a church, 80 hours a week, working hard. And we were poor. When I, my grandfather would say this way, we were as poor as Job's turkey. We... Just think about it. You'll get it in a minute. <laughs> Write it down. Go ahead. You may have to be Southern to understand that one. We were so poor, we couldn't understand the extra. We could not afford the extra O and R. We was just po. That was it. We were that poor. We didn't have any money. We didn't have any food. Our son didn't have diapers. He was six months old. We put a cloth diaper and then a Walmart sack or a Dollar Tree. We was too poor for Walmart just to keep him from from peeing through the clothes. It was just a mess, and my parents came to visit us in Columbus, Ohio. And they showed up, and everybody's greeting each other, and they knew something was off and something was wrong. We lost a little weight. When I tell you poor, I'm not playing with you. I don't mean like we couldn't go get a steak. I mean like we couldn't get ramen noodles. And uh, so they go in, and they go to the kitchen, and they open the, the refrigerator. I'll get a, get a snack after a long trip. Crickets. They open the refrigerator. They heard crickets chirping. Then they go over to the to the pantry, they opened the pantry and a tumbleweed came rolling out. I mean, there was nothing. And my mom and dad are looking. And we had an apartment about the size of this piece of paper right here. So there was no place to find privacy. It was just about this size. And so my dad said, come on outside, son. I want to talk to you. So I go outside. Yeah, dad, what's going on with the food? Well, we just hadn't had an opportunity to go to the, uh, to, um, we just didn't get to the, uh, to the grocery store yet. And he goes, uh-huh. 
He said, listen to me, son, don't you ever get in this position again without calling your mother and father. In other words, don't you ever find yourself in a place that you can't expose your neediness. Why? Because all it would have taken is an acknowledgement of our neediness, and my father would have been there to help. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I can do nothing without him. I can do nothing without that faith. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, this is Jesus speaking, let him do what? Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Galatians 5, 24, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the, with the affections and lusts. In Mark 8, 35, it says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels the same shall save it. In 1 Corinthians 15, I, I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. I die daily. Daily I acknowledge that I cannot do this without you. These scriptures are saying one simple thing. Take the low path be meek and lowly in spirit pursue servanthood Matthew chapter 20 verse 28 it says just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many Jesus himself the king of kings the lord of lords the one the bible says was here before the foundations of the earth he hovered over the earth that was void and without form. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word put on flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was here from the very beginning, and even he did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And We see meekness in this story of David. David is described all throughout the Bible as a mighty man of valor. He exists in our community mind as the strong, mighty, powerful, immovable, brilliant, wise, good-looking leader. We got paintings of David. We got David on chapel ceilings. We have David sculpted out of marble in the finest museums in the world, and he looks like this specimen. He's just a stud. That's how, Dave, that's how we think of David. He's described as this man of war and valor. We have this picture of David that his life was spent pursuing great conquests, that he spent his life pursuing glory on the battlefield. In our mind's eye, we picture David as a king sitting on his throne, adorned in gold and jewels and a palace, telling people what to do and servants bringing him feasts. And David was mighty. He was even described in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 4, as a man after God's own heart. But then we find David in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's a different David than we picture him in our mind. 
It's David as a young man. Theologians believe in this scripture he was a teenager. His body was beginning to change. He was starting to look like a man. But he was unproven. He was unseasoned. He was the baby of the family. How many of you have any more than one child? How many of you have more than three children? Four, do I hear four? Do I have five? Do anybody got five kids, six kids? We have five children. And uh, if you have more than two, you understand it's not that you care less the more kids you have. It's that you don't have the energy. It's just not there. So once you get to the fifth kid and they're whining and crying, you go, what does she want? What, what is she crying about? Just give it to her. I don't care. Well, she punched me in the face and took my toy. Well, we'll suck it up. Deal with it. Let her have it. I don't have the strength. Don't judge me. I just don't want to hear her crying anymore. And this is what David experienced. David was the golden boy. The Bible says David was good looking. David was probably charming, friendly. Mom and dad just loved him. He was the, oh, David, our baby. Look how cute he is. He was strong. He was out there working in the field. And here his brothers are. These are grown men. These are battle-worn men. They probably got scars on their face. They've got calluses on their hands. Their clothes are dirty, ripped up. They've been battle-worn and weary. They're out on the battlefield. They're, they're facing the greatest warrior that they've ever faced. And you've got thousands of men. And here come this little teenage boy just bebopping into the camp. Probably got a voice that cracks. Hadn't fully changed yet. He said, oh, I'll get the giant. <laughs> I got to be thinking, who is this kid? And then David's brother going, oh, what, 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 what you got to say? You're up here running your mouth. Quit asking questions. You're not going to defeat this giant. Who do you think you are? And then he's asking everybody, hey, what do I get if I defeat this giant? Hey, hey what, what, will, what will the king give me? Will he wipe away my taxes? Will he give me his, his, uh, one of his daughters to marry? Like, what am I going to get if I go kill this giant? And finally, the words of this little punk kid get back to the king. And I can just see the king. He's probably excited. He's probably thinking, finally, somebody with the nerve to face this giant. Even if they get killed, at least we won't be so embarrassed that we can't even send one person. And he's sitting on his throne and he's waiting. And here comes David. You can hear the rustling. And here he comes through the tent doors. And the king has got to be disappointed. And I think, you got to be kidding me. This is who they sent me? This little kid? This little kid whose voice hasn't even fully changed yet? He's the one that's going to come in here and defeat this giant? And David says, fear not. You don't have to be afraid any longer. I'm here. I'm going to save the day. I'm going to kill that giant. And I'm sure there was little snickers just like there was in this room right now. People began to laugh under their breath. And Saul just looked at him. And what did Saul say to David in verse 33? He says, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him. In other words, you don't have the dunamis power that is needed to fight this giant. He says, for you are but a youth. You're just a punk kid. And he has been a man of war from his youth. And when the king looked at David 
and said to David, you don't have the power. You don't have the might. What was David's response? David did not say, look at all the battlefields that I've fought on. Look at all the giants that I have killed. David's response to you don't have the might is I have faithfully served my father. David's response to the king's acknowledgement of his lack of might was meekness. He said, I have served my father and kept his sheep. Why was David even on this battlefield to begin with? David did not hear about a giant and decide he was strong enough to defeat it. David did not go looking for the glory of the battlefield. David was not even pursuing a victory. David was simply doing what his father asked him to do. David was delivering his brother's lunch. David was serving in meekness. He was simply being obedient. And the door to might and dunamis and victory was opened before him. See, David continues on this path of dunamis power through the pursuit of meekness. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel the high priest, the most spiritual man in all of Israel at this time, he was the only one allowed to go before the presence of God. And God spoke to Samuel and said, my anointing is no longer on Saul to lead my chosen people. Go to Jesse's house. One of his sons shall be the next king. And Jesse gets word that Samuel is coming and he gets all of his sons together except for little David. He gets these big strapping boys and he lines them up and maybe he rubs a little dirt on their face and he says, come on, square your shoulders. Let's look big. Let's, let's be impressive for Samuel when he comes in here. And Samuel walks, and he walks by each one, and he asks the Lord, is it him? And the Lord says, no. And is it him? And no. And is it him? And no. And the Lord and Samuel looks at Jesse and says, do you have another son? Imagine what these big, strong, seemingly mighty men must have been thinking. He cannot be serious. Look at how strong we are. How could he possibly want to see David? And before Saul could anoint David, or Samuel could anoint David, where was David found? He was found far away in the field, alone, being faithful, serving his father, keeping the sheep. Walking in meekness and humility. In verse 12, the Lord spoke to Samuel and said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Who was the one? The one pursuing meekness. The very next verse, 13, the Bible says, and the spirit of the Lord came powerfully or dunamis came upon David. David went from serving to dunamis power. His meekness led him to dunamis. Even after this moment, he still pursued meekness. In that very same chapter, we find him in verse 21. This is after Samuel 
had anointed him the most spiritual man in all of Israel, the man that spoke to God, had said to David, God says that you are to be the next king. And where do we find David? The Bible says in verse 12, we find day or verse 21, we find David serving Saul. We find David as an armor bearer for Saul. David carried his bags for him and carried his books and made sure he had something to drink and make sure his food was warm and ready to eat and made sure that everything was in order for him. David was a lowly, meek servant for the king that God already said he was to replace because David knew Maybe not even consciously, but his spirit knew that there is no way I will have the dunamis to do what God's called me to do unless I seek meekness. The Bible says that David, that Saul sent word to David's father, Jesse, and said, allow David to remain in my service for I'm pleased with him. It means that David served well. He served well with the knowledge that he was the one that was supposed to be sitting on that throne. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, 7, we see some time later, David had served so well and walked in such meekness, God had begun to bless him, give him more and more power and dunamis and might. And he was sent out into battle and Things began to change, and he saw victory after victory. And the children of Israel cried out, Saul has slain his thousands, but this David, his tens of thousands. And two verses later in verse 10, we see David again. This is after David has accomplished great victories throughout the land. And even the children of Israel are singing his praises. And where do we find David? We find him playing the harp for Saul. We find him yet again, lowly and meek and serving his king. The Bible says that David continued to grow in might and stature. And the more he grew in power, the more he grew in strength, the more the Bible says that Saul became afraid of David. He feared his power, became afraid of him, became more and more angry with David. Saul tried to kill him. Saul chased after him. David was given the opportunity. He was right there. He could have killed Saul with his own hands. But instead of killing him, instead of returning fire, he chose to receive the abuse. And he went low and hid in a cave. David continued to go low and pursue meekness. And finally, Saul died. His reign as king came to an end and David is finally walking in the fullness of what God had called him to do so many years earlier. That prophetic word that he received finally came to fruition and he is anointed king over Israel. And then we find David in 2 Samuel chapter 6 doing what? David is crying out to the Lord for his presence to be brought back and to be returned to Israel. You see, the ark of God had been stolen by Israel's enemies. And David is crying out, God, we need your habitation. We need your glory. We need your presence back among your people. 
David has walked in all of these acts of might. He's walked in all of these victories. The people love him. They are singing his praises. And the only thing that he is wanting is God's glory back. He's wanting his presence. And he said to the Lord, I can no longer just have your dunamis upon me. I can no longer simply have visitations of your presence. I want your dunamis to go from on me to in me. David sought a habitation. Say habitation. Mercy Culture Waco, this is the year that we go from a tent of meeting to a house of glory. This is the year we go from a place of visitation of God's presence to a place and a people of habitation of his presence. You see, we're not only seeking revival because we want his presence to stay. Listen, revival is important. Revival is needed. Revival leads to reformation, but revival has a beginning and an end. How many of you want to be a part of a movement that you don't just tell your children and grandchildren stories of what happened, but they experience his presence? You see, revival is measured in moments, and habitation is measured in generations. I don't want my children to be sustained by memories of moments I experienced. I want them to be sustained by the habitation of the presence of the Lord. I don't want my marriage to be sustained by mere moments of visitation. I want my marriage and my home to be sustained by continuous and daily habitation of the presence of the Lord. Dunamis leads to the habitation of God's presence. Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 15, verse 13. It says, thou in thy mercy has led forth the people which you have redeemed. You have guided them in thy strength, our dunamis, unto thy holy, what? Habitation. The place where God dwells. Worship team, you can come up. God, through his mercy, leads his people in his dunamis power to the place of habitation of his presence. So David is crying out for the presence of God. David is saying, thank you, Lord, for all these great victories. And David has received the plunder of many kingdoms. He is now receiving the praise of his people. There, there are parades for David. The people that he leads love him and adore him. His approval rating is through the roof. He can basically do anything that he wants. He's got all the money you could think of, the prestige, the power. And David is saying, I need your presence, oh God. But then we see David begin to veer from his proven path. All throughout David's life and the story that we see, every time he needed might, he was pursuing meekness. We never see David pursue strength in his own ability. We always see David in the field, on his face, hiding in a cave, crying out to God. He's low. And then David has reached the height of his authority and power. And it's time for him to do the greatest thing he had done as king 
the thing that would solidify him in all of human history, bring back the presence of God to his people. And David, at that moment, chooses to abandon his proven path. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 3, it says, They set the ark of God on a new cart. David knew that the ark of God had a very specific set of rules that the Lord had laid out as to how it was to be carried from one place to the other. It was very labor intensive. It was difficult. It was heavy. Watch this. It was incredibly inefficient. Perhaps David was surrounded by wise men, by people who were giving him counsel. Perhaps his counsel came to him and said, David, we understand that we got these poles and we're supposed to stick them through these holes and we're supposed to pick up this heavy ark and we're supposed to carry it and it's going to take a long time and it's going to take a lot of our strength and our energy. And if we were to pick up these poles, I don't know if we could, if we could carry it as quickly as we need to. So we've created a very efficient way to deliver my presence, God's presence to his people. The Bible says that they built a new cart. I can just see them wheeling this cart before David. You know they had to be proud. This cart is for the Ark of the Covenant. This cart is to carry the very presence of God. They had their finest craftsmen work on this cart. Those wheels were perfectly round and smooth. There wouldn't be a bump. There wouldn't be a scratch. I imagine that this cart was beautifully carved and ornate. It was put together with great care. It was put together with great intention. They said, this it's going to quickly and efficiently bring God's presence back to his people. And then they took off. The Bible says that David gathered thousands of people to praise before the ark, to worship before the ark. All of the armies of Israel joined together. They worshiped God. They praised him. They went out before him. They said, look what we've built. Look at this efficient delivery method for God's presence. Ah, we're going to get his presence there faster than ever. And then the ark began to wobble and shake. And Uzzah, as we learned last week, the root word of his name means might, but in your own ability. It's not God's dunamis power, it's his own. And Uzzah represents our power, our own ability, and Uzzah walks, and the cart begins to shake, and Uzzah says, wait a second, wait a second, the presence of God is becoming uncontrollable. He says, wait, 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 the presence is beginning to, to shift and shake off the system that we have so painstakingly spent our time and energy to build the system that we've designed, the cart that we've designed to carry and hold his presence. Uzzah says, what happens if his presence falls off? What, 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 could, what would happen? 
What happens if God's presence bursts from this box, from this system that we have designed to control it? What happens if the presence becomes so shaky it makes some of the people in our church uncomfortable? What happens if we remove the presence from this system we've created to carry it and it takes longer to get there than that church growth seminar told me people would be comfortable sitting in church? He says, what happens? So Uzzah says, ah, I'll just steady it. I'll just help the Lord. I know what he's asked of me. I know that he's asked me to be needy and he's asked me to be lowly and he's asked me to want him and he's asking me to be meek, but I've got the strength. I'm, I'm okay. I'll just, I'll just steady it. And the Bible says that God struck him dead. What did God do? He took out the strength of man. It was the mercy of God, not his vengeance. Some of you feel weak this morning. God is not mad at you. He is merciful. Without your ability to know how much you need him, you will never walk in his dunamis power. And in verse 9 of 2 Samuel chapter 6, the Bible says that David feared the Lord. He was afraid of God. He said, oh God, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? What did David do? David in that instance realized, I, I can't tr- control God's presence and I can't get it here in my own might and power. And the Bible says he was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in Obed-Edom's home for three months and the Lord blessed him and his entire household and I read that this week it leapt within my spirit I heard the Holy Spirit ask me what does Obed-Edom mean? Ah, he's so good just whispered to me what does Obed-Edom mean? and I I looked it up and in the Hebrew Obed-Edom means the servant of Edom David took God's presence when his strength was struck dead he took God's presence to the place of servanthood he took God's presence to the place of meekness there the Bible says they were blessed because the pathway to glory is through dunamis but the pathway to dunamis is through meekness. At the place of meekness, the house of the servant of Edom, David found the dunamis power to bring the glory of God back to Israel. David was reminded, ah, I've been pursuing meekness my whole life. I thought it was an accident that Samuel called me out of the field where I was lowly and covered in the dirt and doing the thing that nobody wanted to do and serving my father and not walking in glory and nobody knew who I was. And I thought it was a coincidence that Samuel called me from that field. I thought it was a coincidence that I became the armor bearer for the king. The more important people, they overlooked me. 
They looked down on me. They thought I was less than I. He's just the guy that cleans up after the king. Who cares what he thinks? I thought it was a coincidence that I showed up on that battlefield to carry my brothers their lunch. How degrading. They've made fun of me. They've run me down. But I put on meekness and I said, I'll do what my father wants me to do. And I'll take the very people who have mocked me their food. And God opened up the pathway to victory to take down that giant. And he remembered, ah, meekness. Ah, might is found in the house of the servant. Dunamis is found in the place of my weakness. We see this. This scripture that I can't stop thinking about for a year and a half. I've asked the Lord, what does this mean? The Bible describes Moses as the meekest man to ever walk the earth. Moses, this man who marched into Pharaoh's palace. Pharaoh is one of the most powerful people to ever live. With a look of his face, he could have had Moses executed. Wouldn't even have to utter the words and they would have executed Moses in an instant. With one motion of his hand, he could have executed every Israelite. Moses' entire people could have killed them all in a moment. And Moses, the Bible describes the meekest man to ever walk the earth, walks into Pharaoh's palace and looks at the most powerful man on the planet and says, let my people go. Moses, the man who called down plagues from heaven, the man who parted a sea by simply lifting his staff, the man whom the Bible says spoke to God face to face like we speak to a friend, he was called meek. We see Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. Verse 27, Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me. In other words, I have all the dunamis power of earth. There has never been and there never will be a man more powerful than King Jesus. His father gave him all the power of heaven and earth. He says, I walk in immeasurable dunamis power. Verse 28, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We cannot walk in the rest of the Lord if we refuse to acknowledge we're too weak to carry the load. He says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me. And this is how the Bible describes him. Jesus says of himself, for I am meek and lowly of heart. You will find your rest for your souls. Every eye closed. Bow your heads, close your eyes. And we'll just posture your heart to receive. The Lord showed me that some of you have been fighting so hard to defend yourself. That you've been striving to do what's culturally advantageous today. That is, 
I heard the phrase, take up space. Then I saw multiple posts from different communities of people saying, my my New Year's resolution this year is to take up every space that I enter. And I heard the Lord say, we're trying to take up space and make our voices heard. And I've called you to go small and go low. You tried to prove your strength when he's just been waiting on you to acknowledge your weakness. God, teach us how to be meek that we may walk in your might, in your dunamis. Ah. Teach us to abandon the pursuit of might. follow the pursuit of meekness. Mercy Culture Waco, this is the year we will take our seat of authority by going low. Come on, in your spirit, just begin to agree with these words. I saw our church spiritually washing the feet of this city. I saw us going low and serving the people of this city. I saw us serving through the food bank more often. I saw us stopping and serving the homeless on the side of the road and the single mom and the single dad and even the businessman and businesswoman that seemed to have it all going low and serving. I, I saw multiple streams coming together for the people of this house to form a raging river that removed every obstacle standing in your way. Streams of income, streams of people, strategic relationships and workers to bring in the harvest. MC Waco, this is the year that you will run and not grow weary. This is at Isaiah 40, 31 year, but they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the year that mercy, that justice will no longer be delivered in secret. This is an Acts 16. 36 year the jailer told Paul the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released now you can leave go in peace but Paul said to the officers ah listen to this they beat us publicly without a trial even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison and now do they want to get rid of us quietly no he said let them come themselves and escort us out. This is the year your enemies will escort you out. This is the year justice will not be done in secret, but will be done in public. This is the year your reputation will be revived. This is the year that the doors to this city are open. Come on, everybody, lift your hands. Come on, come into agreement with this word. This is the year that through our pursuit of meekness, this is the year 
This is the year that through our acknowledgement of our weakness, this is the year that through going low, God will open the doors of this city. This is the year that God establishes Mercy Culture Waco and your family as a force to be reckoned with. Come on, just lift your voices to the Lord.